And we welcome you to the Tuesday morning show on WGTD. I'm Gregory Berg. I'm very, very pleased for the first time to welcome to the program the president of Gateway Technical Co College, Dr. Ritu Raju. And uh, she has uh, making her presence known uh, here at Gateway in a lot of different ways and, of course, has been very, very busy over the last few months uh, just overseeing the operation of the college, getting acquainted with all that goes on here on our multiple campuses and so on. And, of course, not only getting a grasp of the present, but helping to make plans for a very exciting future for Gateway. And so uh, I'm excited that we can uh, take the next few minutes to, first of all, get acquainted with her, to find out a little bit about her own background in the world of, of higher education, and then uh, find out from her uh, some of the things that are going on here at Gateway that are particularly uh, exciting for the future. And I should say that we are recording this interview in the immediate wake of uh, of Dr. Raju's uh, State of the College Address, which was uh, delivered uh, this past Thursday, in which she sort of took stock of where things are at the moment and where the school uh, is very likely headed. Uh, Dr. Ritu Raju, we welcome you to the morning show. Good morning, Greg. <laughs> Thank you so much for inviting me. It's great to have you here. Great to have your melodious voice uh, over our airwaves. And uh, uh, I'm so pleased that uh, you can be part of this. I should mention that uh, this is actually not your first uh, on-air visit to WGTD, that you were uh, also a guest fairly early on in your mm -hmm. time here at Gateway, a guest of Stephanie Skilba on uh, our Education Matters program, which I listened to and, and enjoyed very much. So, But glad to have you now here on The Morning Show. That's right. And gosh, that seems like a million years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of a million years ago, when exactly was it that, first of all, you were uh, appointed president of Gateway, and then at, at what point did you officially take over responsibility? So the official announcement was made in October 2022, and I started here on the 5th of January 2023. Mm. So, so that was a fairly quick turnaround then, wasn't it? Yes, and it's been a wonderful year. Mm. It's been a year full of learning. This is a new state, a new workplace, a new system, and to me, I get really excited by learning. I'm a lifelong learner. And so having spent 25 years, I know you were going to ask about background, but having spent 25 years in Texas and being in the higher education system there, I learned a great deal. But coming here and learning how things are done here mm. has been very, very exciting for me. Mm. I shouldn't be preempting the questions that you <laughs> ask. <laughs> No, that's fine. You're, <laughs> but, you're pointing us in a good direction. But just, <laughs> you know, but just th thinking about the fact that Gateway was the first publicly funded technical college in the country, has a 113-year very rich history, and also learning about the apprenticeship system that was founded here in Wisconsin, mm. right? There's so much rich history. There's so much tradition of workforce development here. And for me, it's been very enriching to learn all those things. I haven't worked in a state with a state system before. Hmm. So understanding the role of the state office, getting familiar with all the state statutes, all those pieces have been very exciting for me. Right. I suppose at a point when you've been part of this world for a long, long time, I'm sure it's a, a wonderful, in a sense, jolt of new energy 
to find yourself in, in kind of a, a, a new position in a new place with a lot of new things to learn. And as you said, for someone who loves to learn, what could be more exciting? Yes. And thinking about what I just said, I probably sound really nerdy, <laughs> which I am. <laughs> uh, not at all. So uh, ahead of us talking very specifically about mm-hmm. Gateway, I think uh, our listeners uh, would probably appreciate uh, hearing a little bit about uh, your own personal and professional mm-hmm. background, uh, just a little bit, if you would, about where you come from originally and uh, maybe a bit about what sort of led you on the path uh, to higher education. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I was born and raised in India, come from a very middle class family, very modest background. We had a lot of love. We did not have a lot of things, hmm. but a lot of family support. And the two things that were instilled into all of us from a very young age. One was the importance of education, and the second was the value of a work ethic. Hmm. And so those two things have been with me, with my cousins, my brother, all of us, all our lives. Hmm. And then I, we left India in the 90s, early 90s, went to live in Asia, and then from there went to Houston, Texas. Hmm. So just a couple of small moves. (laughs) (laughs) Can I ask what prompted the move all the way to to Texas? It was work. Mm -hmm. It was work-related. And to answer the question about what brought me into higher education, I come from a family of teachers. Mm. So my grandfather was a scholar. My cousins, most of us are teachers. Everything from economics to pre-K to English in my case. Hmm. And so teaching has always been a part of the family. Wow. What about specifically technical education? What in particular sort of tilted you into that direction? And from the outset, has that been the focus of your uh, interest and energy? You know, I, I've always believed, Greg, that there's a divine hand that guides our path. And for me, that has been, you know, when I look back in hindsight, so when, we, when I moved to Texas... I wanted to go back to school, and so I actually started taking classes at a local community college. Hmm. And I got my first job at a local community college as a tutoring uh, assistant in the tutoring center, the princely salary of (laughs) $7.25. And I was so thrilled. I was so thrilled because I've always loved to read and write. It's been such an important part of growing up for us. So I started taking classes. I transferred to a four-year school. And I think that is where I became acquainted with the mission of a two-year college. Hmm. And I saw how, you know, there was a broad range of programs. There were so many different people that I interacted with. I made friends from all different age groups, different backgrounds. My, and the best thing was the faculty. The faculty were so amazing. They provided us with guidance. They gave us, you know, they helped us figure out what we needed to do next. And so starting there, then going on to a state school for my master's in English. And then my master's professors, they guided me on to the right doctoral program. Hmm. And before I started my doctorate, I also started teaching English full-time at a community college. So I think for me, there's been so much serendipity around that work, Hmm. right? So being in the environment as a student, as a staff member, and then becoming 
a faculty member, I think I was really blessed to be able to see all facets of what happens in the two-year college system. And I think that's where my love for the community college came. And later, even after my doctorate, even with offers from four-year schools, I made a very conscious decision to stay in the two-year space mm. because you can see the impact that you make. You mm. can see students coming in, and I said that at the state of the college too. Students don't just come here for a degree or a certificate. They come with a dream. Mm. I had a student tell me that he was told in fourth grade that he was not college material. Gosh, I mean, <laughs> do we even know what that means, right? <laughs> what a thing to say. <laughs> but, but to work with those students, to have the opportunity to give them college access, I think to me that is the biggest piece that keeps me in the two-year college, our open access mission and our mission to develop, to deliver workforce education that puts people in family-sustaining jobs. Hmm. What was it that took you... Uh, from the role of teacher into the role of administrator? Was there something in particular you were hungry to experience or did you have particular gifts you thought would be well utilized in that kind of work? So, you know, again, it's that happenstance, right? I was faculty, perfectly happy, loved teaching. And then there was a major reorganization at the college that I worked in at that time. And I was asked to apply for a position of a department chair. This was a newly created department that had never existed. And it included communication. It included speech. And they said, look, you have a little bit of experience in all of those. Why don't you apply? So I did. As a department chair, I did a fellowship with the American Council on Education. And that fellowship is a year-long commitment where you go to another institution and you learn all aspects of running an institution. Wow. So I did that, and I did that in Ohio, where there's a very strong manufacturing presence. When I came back after my fellowship, our then-chancellor told me, you've gone and learned all this great stuff about manufacturing. We have a manufacturing center of excellence that's on the verge of closing down. I want you to go and fix it. Wow. <laughs> I said, Chancellor, the only thing I know about manufacturing is how to spell it. He said, great, you're ahead, go. It's a start. <laughs> it's, but I just think that that opportunity, it, I had to learn really quickly. I had to bring people together. I think that opportunity was amazing. Hmm. Wow. And like I said, all of these things happened. And I'm, I'm just grateful for those opportunities. Hmm. For those of you just joining us, my guest on today's morning show is Dr. Ritu Raju, who is the president of Gateway Technical College. And um, we've been talking about her background and very shortly are going to be focusing on Gateway's present and, and future. Uh, I am just curious, as you contemplated this move after being in Texas for 25 years, uh, as you looked at Gateway Technical College and what it was, uh, as you you know, first examined it, I'm curious if anything in particular struck you as noteworthy, uh, perhaps unusual, maybe even unique uh, among technical colleges. I mean, I, I suspect there had to be something that made it seem like this would be a very well, exciting opportunity. Without a doubt, without a doubt, it was Gateway's reputation. Gateway has a national reputation for being a leader in workforce education. And the piece that I found most interesting was that 
the way technical education is delivered here at Gateway is really noteworthy. It's a national benchmark. And what I mean by that is that in any program, let's say culinary, in the culinary arts program, students train in a facility that looks exactly like what they will see when they go to work. Mm. Machining, same thing. Automotive, right? We have the Horizon Center. That mimics the actual auto shops or the facilities that students will work in. To me, that was a huge thing because at the end of the day right when we teach students particularly with the hands-on technical programs they are expected to very quickly transition from the training into the actual workforce and because the labor market is so tight employers very often don't have the time or even the luxury to retrain them so they want mm. them to be hands-on hit the ground immediately right mm. so this model is truly truly exceptional and even in the time that I've been here, many colleges come and visit. They've been doing this for years. Many colleges across the country come and visit Gateway to see how this is done. Hmm. I remember in, in many of the morning show conversations with your, your predecessor, mm -hmm. uh, Brian, uh, uh, Brian Albrecht, that uh, often in his reports he would talk about Th these folks coming from here and mm -hmm. these folks coming from there and so on. And it sometimes felt like the whole country was streaming here to Gateway to just see what was going on here and, and seeing it firsthand. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like that is, that, that is really a national reputation. And it is. It is. And we're now, and this has been, we've had simulation for a while. Now with artificial intelligence, we're thinking about how do we make those simulations even more real, even more multidimensional. Mm. Mm. Exciting. Uh, before we get to some specifics, I want to ask you about uh, what your responsibilities are as president of Gateway. And I'm also curious if there are certain facets of those responsibilities that mark, in a sense, kind of a new chapter for you. That is, are there responsibilities you have here at Gateway that maybe have not been a part of your previous positions in your work down in Texas? Definitely. This is, I'm a first-time president, so it's an honor for me to be here. Obviously, there's a lot of learning because as a president, I think, to me, the most important role of the president is being a steward of the resources. Hmm. Right? We are publicly funded. This is a resource. Gateway is a resource for our community. It's a resource for our industry partners. So the most important responsibility is to be a steward, a good steward of those resources. So many parts of our community, our high schoolers, our incumbent workers, they rely on Gateway for the training that they need. When people are making those career changes, when the economy requires certain changes, this is where they come. So to me, the most important role is to make sure that the college is sustainable, that the college is in good financial and organizational health. In terms of new responsibilities, I will say the one thing that's been challenging just for me is just the public image. Mm. I I still feel uncomfortable being photographed and, you know, <laughs> being on video. <laughs> and I'm slowly getting accustomed to that. Right. And 
I think the other piece is working with our board. We have a wonderful board of trustees that are very, very embedded and very supportive of the college. They have so much faith and so much commitment to the mission of the technical college. So being able to work with them and being able to understand their vision and translate that into what we do here at the college, that has also been a wonderful experience. I can well imagine. And the piece about you being, in a sense, the public face of Gateway, I remember when when, uh, many of us met you for the first time, one of the things you talked about, I was going to say joked about, but I think we were pretty serious, was the... (laughs) How disconcerting it was for you to walk into this building, the Inspire Center, and on this big screen, there's your smiling face on kind of this billboard. And and that was not something you were expecting (laughs) nor comfortable with. (laughs) Oh, gosh, yes. Because, you know, I've always been, like, behind the scenes doing the work. So just having that public face has been challenging. I will also say that the freshman 15 is not just for students. You Mm. know, I've gained the freshman 15 (laughs) because our Wisconsin hospitality is so amazing. Having cake and Kringle every day for breakfast (laughs) that first month. (laughs) What a way to go. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of breakfast, uh, I want to mention something that has been such an interesting part of this community for so many years, and that is the very warm relationship between the president of Gateway Technical College and whoever happens to be the president of Carthage College and the chancellor of the University of Wisconsin Parkside. Mm-hmm. And, of course, uh, one of those two, two institutions is in the middle of a, of a search. Uh, but, but nevertheless, I'm sure you've already experienced that, that close connection and spirit of cooperation between mm-hmm. the schools. And I'm guessing that's something that is not seen everywhere. That strikes me as something fairly unique. Oh, my gosh, yes. Our region is amazing. The kind of regional synergy that we have and the kind of partnerships that we have. So Dr. Swallow, who's the president of Carthage, he and I, when I came and we started getting acquainted, we started talking about what can we do more for our students, Hmm. you know? And that's how in May we signed an agreement with Carthage where all our students from our Associates of Science and Associates of Liberal Arts can transfer to Carthage. We are working with them now on some esports things because esports is huge mm. among college yeah. students. And then we have a regional partnership. So Dr. Ford, who was the chancellor of Parkside, became a close friend. And I'm looking forward, Dr. Aki has just taken over. I'm looking forward to working with her as well. So between the three colleges and then Kenosha USD and Racine USD, we have a regional, a local partnership because we want to make sure that our students are supported all the way from K through 16, mm. right? And there are many pathways now. So we have the high school academies where students come, they learn, they do things like welding or the CNA, the certified nursing assistant. They start working. The wonderful thing now, Greg, is many employers are paying for the college tuition. Mm. So they get that support as well. I always worry about the debt that Mm. college students face. And so all of this work that we're doing is designed both to reduce the debt, but also to reduce any unnecessary credits that students are being made to take. Mm. We just want them to transfer seamlessly, do their 60 hours here, do their 60 hours at a four-year school, and that's it. Mm. 
We're speaking with Dr. Ritu Raju, who is the president of Gateway Technical College. And uh, Dr. Raju just delivered a State of the College address this past Thursday, uh, in which uh, she spoke of a number of aspects of of Gateway's operation, which of course involves multiple campuses and all kinds of programs. I know I'm just curious, off the top of your head, do you, can you even tell us the number of different programs that are at Gateway? Maybe not. It's kind of a staggering yes, number. <laughs> it's a staggering number. Officially, it's more than 70. But the fact is that there are so many things happening at Gateway because of our work nationally, because of the region where we are, which is a very strong manufacturing region. There's just so much. I think what we presented at the state of the college was maybe 2%, <laughs> if at all. Right. Even that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, in, it's incredible. A lot of different things uh, going on. One of the uh, programs that I don't remember us talking about very much uh, on this program, and it's relatively new, is the Gateway Edge program, yes. which uh, I know is currently uh, in operation in the mm-hmm. Elkhorn Area School District. Uh, explain to our listeners what uh, Gateway Edge is all about. Thank you for asking. So this started out of a conversation in Walworth County, and our Walworth County trustees talked about how their students... So we have dual credit. We've had dual credit for a long time, and dual credit is where high school students take college classes, right? But they used to be offered either on our campuses or at the school. In Walworth County, given how spread out it is, I heard, we heard that students were finding it difficult to even take those classes Mm. because they would have to drive. You know, our ninth and 10th graders cannot drive. (laughs) Uh, They need a parent to take them. So there were a lot of logistical barriers, Greg. The students are well prepared to take the classes, but there were logistical barriers. And so we started thinking about how do we overcome those barriers for the students. So that was the genesis of Gateway Edge. And Gateway Edge is a program where students can start in ninth grade to take Gateway classes online. And they will finish their associates at the same time as their high school diploma. So we spread out those, the two years of college, we spread it out over the four years. And when we started talking about the virtual piece, we said, okay, so high school students are in school every day, right? They get to see and interact with their teachers. How do we provide that element We can't just have it online. So we have something called synchronous classes where there are times when the students are with the professor online. So it's like you and I are talking, Mm. but on a screen. So we've incorporated as many elements of a real-life classroom as we could. At the end of the day, our goal is to make sure that the students succeed. Mm. So it has been very well received. We piloted it with Elkhorn High School. And we've had other school districts also ask, can we be part of it? And of course, of course, our goal is to provide as many access points to our students. So for a a given high school student that opts to participate in that, are they pursuing a very specific degree in a very specific program? Or is it a more general technical education that we're talking about that prepares them for something that follows? That's a great question. It's mostly the Associate of Arts and the Associates of Science that we're now able to offer, right? That happened, I think, in 2021 that we got the approval. So with those degrees, they can transfer to a Bachelor's in Arts or a Bachelor's of Science. 
and and then make specific choices there. Yes. So in other words, as a ninth grader, you're not asking a ninth grader to make a lot of very specific choices about the rest of their life. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. But we do find also that students, you know, a lot of times they know their aptitude, right? Mm. So this allows them to sort of speak to that aptitude. So if you're a student who likes the STEM, you would mm. do an associates in arts, but then you do have time to decide what you actually want to major in. Right. I should think that uh, something like this, perhaps the full potential of it, in part we probably could trace back to uh, that ugly time of the worst of the COVID pandemic when, of course, so much of all education, including higher education, mm-hmm. was forced uh, to uh, deliver uh, its its material uh, in, in, in ways we never had before. And mm-hmm. I guess uh, uh, that was maybe one silver lining of a terrible time was, is maybe a new understanding of what is possible. Yes. You absolutely took the words out of my mouth, that new silver lining. But also, I think it made us start thinking outside the box. Hmm. And what was interesting was it made our technology providers also start thinking outside the box. Hmm. So during COVID, there was an amazing amount of curriculum that was developed Hmm. by the vendors that have worked with higher education for decades. They started thinking, too. If, if a student is at home, how can they do a lab? How can they do mm. this? That gave rise to so much simulation. And, of course, now all of that simulation is being amped up through artificial intelligence. Right? So all of that, all of the technology that was developed during the pandemic is now coming in handy when we are trying to do this hybrid model now. Because people don't want to just be online. They do understand that they need some human contact. They need feedback from the instructor. But this hybrid piece, I think, is where I see it growing the most. Mm. And that's what we are hearing from students as well. Very good. So the the program is underway uh, in Elkhorn right mm-hmm. now in the yes. high school there, this Gateway Edge program. And you you made some mention of the fact that there seems to be interest from other school districts as well. So the potential is there for this mm-hmm. to uh, become a part of other school districts as well? Well, I, our teams are working on it, so I don't want to say sure. something and put them on the spot. But we have heard that other schools are interested. Right. Yes. It'll be interesting to see wh- where all of that goes. Um, I want to give you an opportunity to talk about something else that is so exciting, which is this thing called Moonshot for Equity, mm-hmm. which... Uh, in effect, uh, makes new possibilities a reality in a really, really exciting way. Yes, and Moonshot is a proven program. It's been around for a few years. Carthage College has had remarkable results with it. And so Carthage and Parkside were already a part of that initiative. Gateways joining the initiative has just brought more regional completeness, Hmm. because we already have the other partnership that I was talking about. Moonshot, the one thing about Moonshot that we really like is that it's tailored to our student body. So we Hmm. provide the company with our student data. We provide them with the snapshot of our processes. And then together, so we have a steering committee here that's led by Dr. Janison and Dr. Summers, here we have we've provided our data we sit down with them and we look at the processes look at the barriers and then we identify the best practices that will work for our students mm. 
So it's not like a one-size-fits-all software that you buy. And I think that, that piece of customization is what we really appreciate. Hmm. And what sort of a student does this, is this designed to serve? Every student. Hmm. Every single student. Because we don't have a one profile of a student, right? Our hmm. students come from all backgrounds, all ages, all levels of preparation, so it's designed to, that's why it's so wonderful because it's customizable to the concerns. It doesn't say you can only help this kind of student. Hmm. Very good. I know that uh, one of the really exciting aspects of Gateway in general, it's been a legacy here for a long time and it's uh, as important as ever, is the matter of partnerships and partnerships with various entities, not only partnerships with other schools, mm-hmm. hi, other schools of higher education, but, uh, but also in, uh, in various businesses and area companies and so on. Uh, I know that you are very excited to tell us something about Gateway's partnership with Microsoft. And, of course, that's a big name, a towering <laughs> name in the world of technology. Tell us uh, what possibilities are, uh, are, are being laid here. That's a great question. It is a great partnership, and we've been engaged with them since day one. So for for that kind of operation, right, for a data center operation, they need a lot of technicians, and the technicians are trained at the technical schools. So we've been part of the conversation right from the beginning. They have been extremely supportive. They've been extremely engaged with us and with other entities in our community, we are looking at curriculum, and we, they were very pleased to see that we had a lot of the curriculum pieces already in place. There's only a couple of things that we have to add, and one of them pertains to the work in a very cold environment because data centers are very cold. Ah. They have to be at very low temperatures. So overall, I think that curriculum development, and then they, they've given us a scholarship that's we started the year on a really good note with $150,000. They've been very good partners in the community too, you know, with their uh, donations for sustainability, their support of United Way. So yeah. I think it's a good partnership. It's a partnership that's going to elevate our community. Very good. So the could you tell us more about kind of the nature of 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 kind of what the result of this will be? I mean, ex- exactly what what is the nature of that partnership? So with Gateway? Yes. Yes. So the nature of the partnership with Gateway is twofold. One, that we will certify and train the technicians for Microsoft. The second piece is that they are, they are considering building like a small prototype of the data center so that the public school, you know, elementary, middle school students, everybody can go and look at it and understand what a data center is. And what happens there. And, and what, what happens there. What people so, do there. But we're still discussing that piece. Mm-hmm. But those are, I think, the two key parts. It's mainly the fact that we we train the technicians. We populate the workforce pipeline. Yes. By the way, uh, in your talk, uh, I heard a term for the very, very first time. I'm not saying that you created it, but... It's it's you're the first person I've ever heard use this term screenagers <laughs> to describe <laughs> Gen Z students who who uh, unlike uh, you and I 
have grown up mm-hmm. their entire lives in in front of screens, and it's really interesting to kind of think about when it comes to the matter of 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 developing rapport with those kind of students and delivering education to them. Uh, what it means for them to be so conversant in these technologies and and what what it means for a place like Gateway and Mm -hmm. and in some of the possibilities it opens up. So we've always, technical colleges have always had that responsibility of not only keeping up, but staying ahead of the curve Mm -hmm. with technology, right? And this is no different. So we have a lot of support, for example, for our faculty on how to use some of these tools. They use a lot of technology in the classroom you know, we use a lot of interactive tools where you can just ask students quick questions during a lecture just to get their understanding. A lot of student-centered tools that help them process the material. There, We've always had that. But again, what's happening now is the comfort level. It's funny, though. One of my colleagues told me, he said he, he has a 13-year-old. And he said, I thought you said scream ages. <laughs> and he said, that works, too. <laughs> Yes, there's a very little difference between M and N, but yes. But, you know, like I said, that's not a term that I coined, but it is so apt because, like you said, we didn't grow up knowing this technology. I still remember the rotary phone. with Yes, the, yes, the black too. rotary phone. Yes, absolutely. And TV without a remote control. Absolutely. So, <laughs> I, I, But I really think that technology is affording ways for us to continue instruction outside the classroom, too. Mm. Absolutely. It, it just allows us to keep in touch with students. It allows for adaptive learning, which is that students can revisit the material and learn at their own pace. Absolutely. I want to give you an opportunity to talk about the Architecture Structural Engineering Technician Program. And is that a new program at Gateway? No, it's a program that we've had for a while. And I'm absolutely the wrong person to talk about it. <laughs> But it, I think it got mentioned in your in yes, your talk. Yes, yes. So, it's just kind of an example of one of the good things we yes. have going here. All I did was support them. It was the dean and the chairs and the faculty. They are the subject matter experts. They did all of that. I'm truly grateful to them for the work that they've done. They worked with the vendors, set the specifications, plugged the curriculum in. It's all them. <laughs> so you're the cheerleader. <laughs> so... We are talking today, of course, about Gateway at a point in time when, uh, of course, it is a very challenging environment for higher education as a whole. Mm -hmm. And uh, where I teach at Carthage and up the road at Parkside, I mean, no facet of higher education is immune to some of the particular pressures that are that are coming to bear right Mm now. I'm just curious. uh, I'm I'm there is no doubt that you and uh, the board and your close administrators and advisors are, are, are more aware of this than any of the rest of us are. Um, I'm just curious the way in which you are choosing to kind of frame this challenging period in higher education and, and the way you want us to kind of think about it as, as Gateway marches into this future that, mm-hmm. uh, that has so, so many challenges. One of my mentors told me Whenever you think of something as a challenge, reframe it as an opportunity. Hmm. And so the opportunities are enormous, right? I heard from a colleague, and I said that at the State of the College, apparently it was on one of the radio channels, that you're not going to lose your job to AI. You're going to lose your job to someone who knows AI. 
<laughs> so the potential yeah. to learn and retrain, right? I think that is a huge opportunity. Our economy is so strong. We're growing. We have Microsoft. I'm sure other companies will follow suit. The way we are located on the Chicago-Milwaukee corridor, the ease of access, mm. the infrastructure that we have, so many wonderful things in our favor. So to me, I think, yes, we have to be aware of the challenges, but we also need to see what are the challenges that can convert into opportunities. And how do we, how do we best adapt those opportunities to our needs? Mm. I think to me, that's the key, that piece of localization is the key to success because we we have unique needs here. And I'm, I learned very quickly that even the needs of our three different campuses, we have a slightly different demographic, we have different mm-hmm. programs that yes. we focus on. So just making sure that we understand those nuances would mm. be critical. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate the way you frame that, and it, uh, it uh, helps me understand why you uh, – have welcomed this opportunity to uh, to take on the presidency of Gateway with its multiple campuses and many, many programs and all of the ways in which it seeks to be powerfully and potently uh, connected to the community. So, well, it has been so fun to have this uh, first morning show conversation and uh, as other exciting uh, things occur here at Gateway that you want to come talk about. I hope you know that the welcome mat is always here for you, and uh, we would always welcome the opportunity to have you be part of this program. I would love to. In fact, the first year has been such a whirlwind that I haven't done as much as I'd have liked to, but I look forward to visiting again. And I look forward to sharing some of those exciting things with our community. Thank you for the work that you do. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure and privilege. Dr. Ritu Raju, the president of Gateway Technical College, thank you again for being part of today's program. Thank you, Greg. Thank you for having me. You're listening to the Tuesday Morning Show on WGTD. I'm Gregory Berg. For part two of today's program, we're going into the Morning Show archives and to replay an interesting conversation that was recorded and initially broadcast back in 2011. We all know the name Erin Brockovich and the tireless work which uh, first put her on the map trying to make the world a little bit safer, especially for ordinary people who, for no fault of their own, find themselves living in uh, the wake of environmental damage. And now, in addition to that work which she has continued to do, Erin Brockovich is a very fine writer, and she has co-written a couple of uh, well-received novels, the most recent of which is called Hot Water. And uh, we're going to talk with her for the next few minutes about this next step in her journey. Erin Brockovich, we welcome you to The Morning Show. 
Thank you. Good morning. How are you? Just fine. I look forward to talking to you very much. Uh, you and uh, C.J. Lyons have co-written a couple of novels, uh, uh, Rock Bottom and now Hot Water, which obviously spring out of this real-life crusade of yours uh, to make the world a, a bit safer uh, for, for ordinary families. Um, could you tell us how this started? Was this some something that somebody suggested to you, or on your own did you realize that this might be a, a fun and fruitful undertaking for you? Well, you know, it's, it's, I've been 21 years, gosh, I hate to date myself, that I've actually been working with communities on environmental issues. And, you know, it's been over the past few years I I see... Oh, I don't know. I'd say despair in communities, and it's just such an overwhelming concept to hear or face that through groundwater contamination or air pollution or soil vapor plumes underneath people's homes that they have environmental problems. And sometimes it gets so overwhelming, we just tune out. We we turn on that deaf ear. And the the idea of... Uh, the novels, and we call them uh, a cause novel, is to have a character in there that that many people would relate to, that they could just have some escapism, if you will, and read something, and but close the book and go, wait a minute, that is a real cause. It could be happening in this country. It could be, frankly, happening in my own backyard, and I want to get involved. So that was the idea, just seeing communities often thinking, oh, I just can't deal with this, or I don't want to deal with this. And so AJ is a fun character, and it's a series based on things that might really be happening and a way to get people to want to become involved. We're talking about an environmental activist named Angela Joy Palladino, and obviously she uh, is a very powerful echo of, of you and some of the work that you've done. How would you, how would you characterize her in terms of being similar to you versus being distinct from you? I mean, have you and co-author C.J. Lyons gone out of your way to make her a lot like you or different from you? How have you handled that? Well, uh, certainly some somewhat like me, but possibly, you know, I guess like a whole lot of people might be. And uh, so it's a little bit of me in there, but AJ kind of has a, she's maybe a little more jaded in some regards, but that's what I love about her. She's, she's rolling her eyes a lot of times, and sometimes things pop out of her mouth. It's something that every one of us would want to say, but we just don't, um, and neither do I, so I love that part of AJ. So she's a little bit of me, but... She's a lot um, relatable to to many, many people, and especially, you know, women. And she has a child that has a disability. And, you know, AJ's just, um, her heartstrings are pulled upon a lot, and she wants to do right by people. But she's a little jaded, a little cynical. Um, she's pretty up in your face and can get away with things that I don't know that I necessarily could. <laughs> hmm. That makes her fun. Sure. She is in, in this book approached by the owner of a, of a, a brand new nuclear facility mm-hmm. and uh, is offered a, a very, very sizable check to come on board to actually uh, not investigate wrongdoing, but kind of the opposite, to try to quell public unrest and concern about this nuclear facility. And because of her situation, she finds this uh, monetary possibility very, very tempting. Speak a moment about uh, folding this into the story, because I'm sure this is also a reality that uh, activists sometimes have to face. Well, you know, I think it's a reality a lot of times people face. I mean, 
the the money is something that um, can help AJ uh, the law firm where she works. It can help them do more work and the right thing by a whole lot more people. Um, it would be something that's important to her again with the disabled child. And I think that every single person in America, you know, wants a job and wants to earn money. And she's just afraid that the money is there for the wrong reason. Now. In this particular situation with AJ in this series, it's a catch-22. Many people are afraid of nuclear energy. We, we don't understand it. We have questions surrounding it. And then, of course, if there's a nuclear problem, it can be a terrible disaster. So people don't want this facility in their community. And the company brought AJ in to try to get the community to trust or believe in or allow the company to exist. And they're also developing medical isotopes. And AJ, having a disabled child, understands that, on the other hand, this nuclear facility and medical isotopes could actually enhance somebody's health. It could, it could actually change and save somebody's life. So it's a catch-22 for her, and she's agonizing a little, but she does want to build a trust between this company and this community. And it's along those way that, once again, A.J. uncovers that there is a deception. And, and that's the tragedy um, in this book and in many of these circumstances, is that it, there, this secret that is kept, this deception, doesn't have to happen. And if we could just expose that and be forthwith at the beginning we would have a, a greater transparency between this company and this community. Well, and potential problems could be so much more better addressed. Absolutely. It, this character not only echoes who you are and uh, have been, but also echoes uh, recent events in, in Japan, of course. The, uh, uh, in, in Not exactly, but in, in, in your novel, there is a hurricane bearing down on the coast of South Carolina where right. this nuclear facility is located. And, of course, that that offers up another potential wrinkle in all of this of of mother nature sometimes getting involved in some disastrous ways yeah mother well i you know we can be uh, better prepared that is certain you know mother nature is not going to go away and what happened in japan was terrible and i think it it raises questions for all of us that you know possibly having nuclear facilities in earthquake prone territories might not be a good idea and japan's you know, this is one of the few options that they have. So it's very important to be better prepared. And, yes, that does raise questions for them um, in the book, Hot Water. Mm. But, again, it, it, it brings to light, as we were discussing earlier, uh, the need for um, uh, being honest at the beginning and even addressing and saying this could be a potential problem. It isn't until once we recognize that there's this potential for a problem, then we can look for a solution. So... Uh, we do when we have facilities that we know could, if there's a problem, be a disaster to many, many people. We need to become even better prepared, inform the community of that, and educate the community in mm. that. And so uh, some of these points are brought out in the book that are actually happening throughout America. But again, we hope told in a way that's entertaining and suspenseful that people will want to be more educated, be more aware be more involved, because that's where we'll begin to find better solutions for our companies and, and our safety. This new novel, Hot Water, is published by Vanguard Press. Aaron Brockovich, thank you very much. Best wishes and keep up the good fight. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.
Bye.